Hello and welcome to Truth in Journalism, a radio broadcast dedicated to applying the Word of God to current events. Well, today on Truth in Journalism, we're going to conclude our series on trends and ends. Now, for the past two weeks, we've been talking about trends and ends, and today we're going to conclude our series by talking about ends. Last week and the week before, we've talked about trends. We've talked about what serious thinkers are predicting for the world based upon economic, demographic, and political trends. Now, as said before, just because very smart people are predicting things doesn't mean that they will happen. Being smart doesn't make you a prophet, and it certainly doesn't mean that you're omniscient. Only God knows the future and those to whom God chooses to disclose the future. But we can say that part of wisdom, even worldly wisdom, is the ability to read the signs of the skies, even if they can't read the signs of the times. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus condemns the Pharisees for, or at least one of the things. He points out to them how they're able to predict weather based upon their version of the red skies at night proverb. However, their ability to predict the weather does not magically include their ability to possess and exercise wisdom concerning Jesus and his coming and what that meant. And indeed, worse and worse, Jesus says that the fact that they're able to predict weather patterns is even more condemnatory to them because their ability to predict weather should tend towards their ability to understand that they were living in the days of Messiah. The know-how to look up and see that the sky is red, and based upon that information, they can uh, predict how things will go should have tended towards their ability to understand Jesus. But they were staring straight at all of Jesus' miracles in the ministry of John the Baptist and everything else, and they not only couldn't predict what would happen, but they were completely misinterpreting what indeed was happening. My point is that just because someone is a fool doesn't mean they're a fool in every aspect of their life. You can be a fool who's a medical doctor. You can be a wise janitor, but I'm not going to the janitor to prescribe me medicine. Jesus, in fact, the Bible itself does not condemn the world's learning, at least not when it's real learning. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And I'm telling you, friends, they knew a few things. Sure, they were pagans and they had some foolish beliefs, but you can be a fool and a genius at the same time. So I say all this to say this. The Bible is pretty plain if we read carefully that you don't need to be a prophet to be shrewd. You don't need to have supernatural power to read the trends. Again, a wise man reading the events of the world isn't going to claim that uh, what he says will absolutely happen, but they will give us what they believe is the most likely outcome of world events, assuming that nothing changes the trends that we're currently on. And it's wise for Christians to learn uh, how to understand trends and how to respond with wisdom to what might happen. It's wise to be prepared. It is foolish to go about blithely ignorant of world events and how they might impact us, presupposing that because Jesus loves you, that he'll watch over you. He will. Jesus has watched over many foolish Christians destroy themselves. He'll watch over more. That doesn't mean that Jesus is going to intervene for your benefit. If you're a Christian and you go run around on I-75, Jesus will be with you every moment all the way to heaven. And we talked about what trends are and how I believe that we should prepare for them. But today I want to talk about ends. I want to talk about how all of this is going in a certain direction. And I want to talk about where this might be heading because history is moving somewhere. Peter is plain that the world is not just going to continue on as it is ad infinitum. And here I'm going to quote Second uh, Peter chapter 3 in its entirety because it is a very important and underappreciated chapter. So Second Peter chapter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. 
I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forwards to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes in the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Peter here is very clear and is not to be misunderstood. The world is not going to keep going on as it is, but is going to come to a catastrophic and sudden end. Peter is saying that the world will not always be as it is now, but that God has a certain and a definite plan for a major direct action here on the earth. And while many choose to scoff and laugh and say that everything is the way it's always been, Peter says they are ignoring that God is already engaged in a catastrophic direct action in the past through the flood, and God is going to do it again. Now, Peter doesn't go into the details of what this catastrophic direct action will be, but it is clear that it is going to be the end. Now, this text is not the clearest in all of Scripture about the end and what will happen in the end and what will lead up to it. Indeed, the whole of Scripture doesn't give us a very clear picture of what leads up to the end, with the exception of a few passages. There are a few things that are absolute and unmistakable and incontrovertible. There are many things that people point to and say, well, look, there, there's a war. Oh, oh no, a new government registration program. Ah, social security cards of the mark of beast. Oh no, Russia has nukes. It's the end. I want us to be wary of newspaper exegesis. There are things that are unmistakable and incontrovertible. But nothing in the book of Revelation described as the tribulation is happening now. There are at least two reasons why we cannot, cannot be in the tribulation. One, 
there has not been an abomination of desolation. If you look at Matthew 24 and Mark 13, you can see that the event and the only event that instructs the Jews about how to respond to eschatological events is the abomination of desolation. Now, the abomination of desolation happens three and a half years into the tribulation. So you could argue, well, Luke, we're three and a half years in. Ah, but then we have point two. The rapture hasn't happened. Now, you might not believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, but you have to believe in some kind of rapture if you want to be biblical. The Bible talks about a snatching away in 1 Thessalonians 4, so it means something. And we all know that the Antichrist cannot arise until the Holy Spirit is taken out of the world. See 2 Thessalonians 2. And as a Christian who believes that the Holy Spirit is a permanent possession of Christians, I cannot see how there can be Christians in the world without the Holy Spirit being in the world. That and many other reasons lead me to believe that the Antichrist cannot come to power before the rapture. And since the Antichrist cannot come to power and fulfill Matthew 24, Mark 13, without the church being taken away, the best argument is that the church is taken away before Antichrist rises at all. And his rise is possible because the church is taken out of the world. So it's very possible right now you're thinking, um, Luke, I thought you were going to tell us how things going on in the world right now might be pointing towards the end coming soon. But all you've done is give qualifiers and caveats. Yes, I have, because it's important to be both exceptionally clear and also to not allow people to hear me saying that what I'm saying is prophecy. What I'm going to say here in the last few minutes are the things that I think would make the most sense to allow Antichrist to come to power and how world events are leading that way. So when we look at the books of Daniel and Revelation, it's clear that the great world power is the Roman Empire. That means that for whatever reason, the United States is not the world hegemon and neither is China. Somehow power has returned to Europe. A destructive war or trade war between China and America might force America into isolationism and cause us to not be a major player in world events and might outright destroy China, or it could lead to a nuclear war, which would destroy both countries. At all events, the trends point to the possibility of a severely weakened America and China, allowing the major power center of the world to, once again, be Europe or the Roman Empire. We also see that Antichrist comes to power promising peace. He rides a white horse, but he has a bow conquering and to conquer. Daniel is plain that he promises peace and provides it for a few years, but after the abomination of desolation, he is no longer able to keep the peace. What will cause Antichrist to rise? What will cause him to take power? It seems to me that the best explanation for how Antichrist comes to power is that he comes to power when the world is desperate. I think that that's the best explanation we can come up with, and it's best explained by an incredibly destructive war and economic collapse. The world is going to clamor for somebody who can guarantee peace and somebody who can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. The world is going to beg for world government, for a super government that will ensure that peace on earth will reign and we will be done with war. Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote his poem Loxley Hall, and it has become a favorite of many utopians. Apparently, they forget that the utopian dreams of the young man in the poem are merely the half-witted fancies of an unmoored and bitter young man who can't commit to anything or any project. Consider Tennyson's words. Men, my brothers, men the workers, ever reaping something new, that which they have done but earnest of the things that they shall do. For I dipped into the future, far as human eye could see, saw the vision of the world and all the wonders that would be, saw the visions filled with commerce, argosies of magic sails, pilots of the purple twilight dropping down with costly bales, heard the heavens fill with shouting, and there rained a ghastly dew, 
From the nation's airy navies grappling in the centered blue, far along the worldwide whisper of the south wind rushing warm, with the standards of the peoples plunging through the thunderstorm, till the war drum throbbed no longer and the battle flags were furled in the parliament of man, the federation of the world. There the common sense of most shall hold a fretful realm in awe, and the kindly earth shall slumber lapped in universal law. So I triumphed ere my passion sweeping through me left me dry, left me with the palsied heart, and left me with the jaundiced eye. I, to which all order festers, all things here are out of joint. Science moves, but slowly, slowly, creeping on from point to point. Slowly comes a hungry people, as a lion creeping nigher, glares at one that nods and winks behind a slowly dying fire. Yet I doubt not through the ages, one increasing purpose runs, and the thoughts of men are widened with the process of the suns. What is that to him that reaps not harvest of his youthful joys? Though the deep heart of existence beat forever like a boy's, knowledge comes, but wisdom lingers, and I linger on the shore, and the individual withers, and the world is more and more. Knowledge comes, but wisdom lingers, and he bears a laden breast full of sad experience, moving towards the stillness of his rest. Right now, the world is headed towards a conflict that will accomplish several things. One, mass starvation that will cause people to be desperate for any kind of leadership. Two, catastrophic war, which will eliminate the three main contenders to world power, which prevent the European Union from being the supreme world power. And three, the economic collapse of those same powers, the U.S., China, and Russia. If, if things continue on this way, the end may be soon and very soon. I'm not a prophet nor a prophet's son, but world events are lining up in such a way as to make a very understandable path for Antichrist to come to power, which means that the rapture may be very soon. And whether Jesus comes tonight or 10,000 years from now, it would be wise and well for us to be sober and vigilant, to be at the door, waiting, for we do not know when our master shall return. Again, just to clarify one last time as we conclude this series, I am not a prophet. I am not claiming that I know what is going to happen. But what I am saying is that Christians are wise if we look at the trends in world events and take reasonable precautions to protect ourselves physically and to prepare ourselves spiritually for what may come next. Again, not a prophet, not a prophet's son. I'm not saying any of the things will happen. But whatever happens, we need to be ready for Jesus' return. I hope and pray we will, and I hope you'll join us again next time for another exciting episode of Truth in Journalism. Thank you, and may God bless your day to his glory.